This podcast is a production of WVU Student Media. You're listening to the Haunted Halls of WVU. So, Jason, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Yes, I am a professional storyteller. I, I travel around all over uh, performing stories, mostly ghost, monster, witch stories, uh, things of the paranormal nature. Then uh, I've been doing this since 2000 uh, or 2002. I've been performing since 2002. And since 2000, I've been part of the West Virginia State Storytelling Guild. And that is a group of storytelling people and performers and supporters of the art who are trying to keep the Appalachian tradition of storytelling alive. And there are right now between 50 and 60 members that are active and we perform all over the state and all over actually the tri-state area or maybe the four state area because we have some that are in West Virginia. In addition to West Virginia, we have people who perform in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Ohio. And you guys only tell Appalachian stories? Not necessarily. I mean, some people are, I mean, everyone has their niche. Uh, I chose ghost and monster stories because that's what I was interested in when I first started. And actually, I picked it up from the only other, at the time I started, the only other ghost and monster story and witch story person who was performing at the time. Um, She has since passed away. Uh, So I picked up the art from her. And, you know, I was like, you know what, there's only one other person, so someone else has got to take this on. And it's what I like to do, so why not just tell that? So you've got people who are telling, like me, I tell ghost stories, but a lot of times you'll hear me sneak in some, you know, social justice or, or you know, I, there's a couple stories that I actually stick a little bit of, you know, LGBTQ equality, you know, into the story just to kind of put a little more out moral into that. But that's basically what stories are. You know, they te- they're, they really were the first teachers before there were schools, before there were uh, any training programs of any sort. That kind of goes into my question about urban legends and historical context. Like, how much does history have to do, like, with the stories that you tell? Uh, a good bit. Um, the stories that I tell, anyway, are all based on a- an historic uh, event or person. Um, I, I believe that a lot of the legends, at least the definition to me of, of legend, is something that happened in the past that is begging to be remembered. Not everything that happened in the past is seen as quote unquote important by you know society, but there are people who have taught things or done things that are really either interesting or important or, you know, it was just like a thing that happened and and people don't really understand or you don't really get the full grasp of what it actually was that happened. Like, yes, you can talk about the Battle of Droop Mountain, but that's a lot of statistics. And, you know, oh, here's where they went to afterwards and here's where they came from and this is where they fought. But, you know, in the story, you get more. You get how people felt, how the emotions were, you know, how... 
um, certain soldiers reacted, you know, in the, in the battle and how people they left behind were, you know, you get the whole range of human emotion in that, in the story. Whereas if you're reading a historical account, you know, it'd be like, oh, they were here for three hours and then they traveled on to Vicksburg or Gettysburg or, you know, Antietam or whatever. And it's all very f- cut and dry facts. And that's, that's good because that's history. You know, that's the progression of history is, you know, a, a string of dates and times and stuff. But when you put the storytelling into it, you make it come alive. And it doesn't matter how scared you get at my ghost stories, they cannot compare with what actually happened. There was a point when I was telling a story, I remember, about the Headless Horseman. And the Headless Horseman story that I tell is, you know, it's the guy who loses his head, uh, he gets shot off by a cannonball in the Civil War. And when I told that story, the one of the mothers in the audience grabbed her child you know, cupped her hands around his ears and ran off with him out, out of the room. And I'm thinking, if that bothers you, you know, you knew it was a ghost story session, right? <laughs> the The whole reason ghost stories exist is because someone died. You they can't go- have a ghost story without a ghost. Right. You know, <laughs> you can't have that. And there are ghost stories everywhere. I mean, even things that you don't, people don't consider ghost stories are ghost stories in just sheer at their core, they're ghost stories. I mean, if you think about one of the most popular Christmas movies ever, yeah, Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. it's a ghost story. Yeah, there are four ghosts in that story. There's Marley, the spirit of Christmas, past, present, and future. You know, there's four ghosts there. There's time travel. You know, <laughs> there's flying. You know, it's all magic. It's all mystery. It's all spookiness and you know death. But you know, then there's like this whole rebirth at the end, and that makes it you know a happy family story because there's a happy ending to it but you know when ghost stories don't have that it's like hmm that's a really scary story you know if you got a cliffhanger which is what i like to tell i like to tell the cliffhangers where it's like is it did it really happen that way or or twist it around and you know bring the bring the beginning back to the to the end and you know put new meaning on it and and make people wonder okay like from start to finish how do you put a story together a story basically is what in storytelling we call bones. Mm-hmm. So you have it's a very it's actually a very spooky way of thinking about putting a story together because you have the skeleton, you have the basic skeleton of the story, you have the characters, you have the setting, you have the things that happened to them, and how they reacted to it, and then the resolution. You know, you have those basic things, but you build onto that and you flesh that out. So when you have and sometimes with a ghost story, you won't have all five of those things. You'll have like, there's a ghost and it haunts this building and it does this. And we don't know why we don't know who it is. And we don't know why. <laughs> so it's like that. It's like the, the, well, I mean, when I, when that happened to me in the library, I didn't know what that was, who that was, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, well, that was weird. But you know, over time I figured out, well, I know it's in the library. I know what it does. And then I did some research and I found out who it was and I find out when they died and I find out how they died. And then I find out that other people have had this happen to them and read about or heard from them firsthand accounts about how it's happened to them or someone they know. And it's, it's just, you flesh it out over time and stories never really stop coming. Like you can stop collecting. Like you can be like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. And that's what happens when you, when you put it in a book, when you put a story in a book, you're basically saying, this is it. This is the story. But if you write it down, it kind of dies. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it stops living. But stories keep going on because I could write down every one of these ghost stories in a book and it would be my story. It would be my version of the story. But there are people out there who would have their version and there are people out there who would know something that I didn't know about the story or had something happen to them that I didn't know about the story. And it's just a, you know, a natural progression of things. But if, if you are doing um, a story and making it from scratch, that's the hard part. Unless you're a really creative, creative person and you can just come up with something off the top of your head. But for me, I don't like to do that. I, like, I always like to find something that was inspiring or some story that kind of already partially existed or something that you could take and build on. The whole process of making a story is a long one. So you can, you can, I mean, it's like writing anything really. You can keep writing, keep going forever, but then you run the risk sometimes if you go too far into your imagination, you lose the story. Mm-hmm. And I have done that before. And I'm, I'm like, there is a story of a witch um, that I tell from back home. And she, uh, when I, you know, when I was a kid, I heard stories about her, you know, the, the spells she would cast and the people that she cast them on and what, what happened to the whole situation. And then when she passed away, what happened, you know, when she died and all of that. But I didn't know that much about her early years, like her as a child. And so I started playing around with, well, maybe I can try and explain why she was the way she was, you know, why, where she learned all of this from. And it was awful. It turned into one of the worst things I'd ever written. And I was like, I am never letting anyone see this because it's so bad. It's because sometimes not having all of the information is better than trying to explain everything. And I think sometimes that's where people fail with sometimes not knowing is a wonderful thing. So do you usually go and seek out stories or do they usually end up coming to you? Both. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do a lot of seeking because I, at one, um, at one point I was really active, but I'm, I'm still doing it. But at one point I was really, really active, meaning I traveled to every county in West Virginia looking for ghost stories, monster stories, everything like that, witches. Um, <laughs> and I found things. I found vampires. I found um, werewolves. I found witches. I found things that I can't explain what they are because they're <laughs> some kind of weird monster that's, you know, it's blue and it's, it looks like a rat, but it's not a rat, <laughs> you know, and I found a zombie in, uh, along the Ohio river. And I'm like, okay, there's a zombie here. And, you know, there'll be, you know, there's creepy little children. There's, uh, of course, you know, there's Mothman, there's Bla- the Flatwoods monster. There's, uh, you know, all these things that are just around West Virginia and, so many witches. Oh my gosh. Witches, male and female, <laughs> all over West Virginia. There's mummies in Philippi. Actually, oh <laughs> mu- actual, honest to goodness, mummies that someone made from the bodies of people at the Western Trans Allegheny, Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. This like mad scientist in the 1800s took two bodies from there and made mummies, and they still exist. They are in a museum in Philippi. It's insane this place (laughs) sometimes fact is crazier than fiction when you look for the stories do you look in new you said you look in newspapers oh yeah yeah um that's another another good like not just the traveling um one of the best sources of of uh ghost monster stories crazy things um are are newspaper gossip columns if you can go into oh any newspaper 
anywhere. I would think any state would have had this um, during times of like crisis, strife. You know, when people are really stressed out. Um, one of the one of the biggest time periods of that in this country was the Great Depression, and you can go into any newspaper in the 30s, and probably within a couple of months uh, of looking through a couple of months of you know newspapers in the gossip columns, you'll find a ghost story, a monster story, some little critter or whatever you know <laughs> that's got you know it's got like uh, fangs and it looks kind of like a rabbit, but it's got deer antlers and everything you know. So it's <laughs> like the jackalopes. That's probably where those came from. Was the 30s? You know, people were like trying to find some way to escape reality because mm-hmm. reality back then probably really really was bad. I've actually been at yard sales and picked up a book, and it'll just be like an old book of like, say, a county history. And it, there was a lot more leeway, I think, back before people got so worried about libel and yeah. everything. Um, if you go into, <laughs> there's a book, uh, Morgantown City History, and it was printed during their sesquicentennial. Um, and it's an old book, and it's a small book. It's small. But, oh, my gosh, there's stuff in there that you would get taken to court for today. <laughs> I mean, they're to bad-mouthing each other. They're bad-mouthing families. You know, it was, it was, it's literally a giant gossip column written into a history book about <laughs> the city. And it's one of, probably one of the funniest things you'll read about Morgantown, honestly, because it's, it takes place about 20 years after the Civil War, I think. And, you know, people are calming down, but at the same time, they're still kind of, you know, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's always crazy. You know, you know and it, it was like they – but, I mean, this is where you – if you read into it, if you pay attention, it's like – so, I mean, you have the bones of a story, and you can tell the bones of the story with a little bit of skin on them, or mm-hmm. you can keep looking for more. What story took you the longest to put together, if you could think of one? Oh, God. Um Recently, probably Elizabeth Moore, the one I told the very first time, that that is my longest story that I tell. And if I tell every single part that I know about that story, it takes almost 20 minutes to tell that story. And it's one that I told on the ghost tour. And there were a lot of times where I would be like, okay, I'm I'm skipping this part of it and this part of it and this part of it. And I'm just telling, you know, and so it'd be like 10 minutes long, but that's still a long story. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're telling a single story for 10 minutes, you have to be able to keep people's attention. And that's where, you know, your ability to perform or the ability to inject comedy, because if you're telling a ghost story and you're down in doldrum and you're sad and you're, you know, and you're going to lose people's attention. That was one thing that I noticed about you the first time you recorded is that when I think about like, you know, ghost stories and stuff, I think of it being like scary, but the way that you tell them, it actually has like personality and like morals and lessons and characters that you actually like identify with and that you care about when you start, like, you want to know how it ends. I don't know. I guess I never really experienced a storyteller, but hearing that story, I'm, yeah, it's just really not what I expected, but I honestly, like, really like it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually was, uh, this past Saturday, one of my friends, um, Jane Gilchrist, who was a great supporter of storytelling, she passed away last fall, and... Um, uh, she was a great supporter. She worked at Arthur Dell. She was a great weaver, spinner. Mm-hmm. She was a storyteller. Um, and she had, we had a memorial concert for her at uh, Fairmont State this past year, at, or this past weekend at the uh, Folk Life Center. And 
the story I told was one that I traded with her over the years, you know, that I'd known her because she had worked at the lunatic asylum, the trans mm-hmm. for, you know, a while. And she had told me stories from there mm-hmm. and I was telling her ghost stories, you know, that I knew. And we just have a, had a blast talking back and forth. And, but yes, she is, you know, she now would trade stories back and forth. And, um, at the, you know, throughout the story, it was like, I tried to inject humor because we're at a memorial concert. You know, everyone's kind of sad anyway. You know, her children are there. Her brother is there. Her mother is there. You know, cause she wasn't very old when she passed. I mean, she's probably not much older than I am. She might mm-hmm. be in, you know, early 50s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, the, the whole thing is that storytelling is not just teaching. It's not just uh, preaching or whatever. It's, it's, it's a way of alleviating stress. It's a way of coming together and getting people to feel comfortable again. And ghost stories, you think, oh, ghost stories aren't appropriate for something like that. Well, they very much are mm-hmm. because ghost stories bring you to the border of life and death, you know? So you've got that. And if you do it the right way, they can make you feel comfortable with ghosts and death. But yeah, and and after the concert, the one of the one of her friends came up to me and she said, "Oh, that was so nice." She said that you made it okay to like ghost stories. So, the answer to this question will probably be no. But <laughs> do any of your stories ever actually frighten you when you yes. learn more about them? Yes. Yeah, actually it's not a it's not a no answer. That is a yes. <laughs> I still get freaked out by ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um my husband actually laughed at me one time because I was like, <laughs> I said, uh, uh, "What we're, we were watching something, or I was reading something, or we had no wait. I think we had actually traveled someplace, and I had been. It might have been Gettysburg. No, it wasn't Gettysburg. It was Antietam. Oh. I was in Antietam, and I climbed the tower, and I got freaked out thinking about all the people mm-hmm. that had died there. You know, and." Then I just ran to the car and I was like, I need to leave. I need. I, I don't know if I want to leave this place, but I said, I just need to leave this area. Like, I yeah. just need to get out of here for a minute and, like, calm down. And he started laughing at me. He said, for someone who loves ghosts and ghost stories, you sure do get scared by mm-hmm. them. And I said, that's because I know ghosts and ghost They're stories. real, yeah. They're, they're real to me. Exactly. You know? And, you know, it, even if you don't believe in ghosts or ghost stories, you can still learn stuff from them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and that's the important lesson to take away. So, yeah, I do get terrified sometimes with ghost stories. There's actually been times where I've thrown away things in my house because I'm like, <laughs> this has a bad vibration on yeah. it and I cannot have this in my house anymore. So mm-hmm. I will literally, you know, douse it with salt and throw it in the trash, <laughs> <laughs> throw it outside, outside my house. The Emore story, that one scared me for a while. It really did. I didn't want to go in there. Yeah. I didn't want to go in the hall. I didn't want to interview anyone. I was like, I don't want to be near her. So yeah, well, my, my whole thing is I, First of all, I'm not a Ghostbuster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people like <laughs> Tammy. The first time I met Tammy, actually, she called me. She's like, you need to come up and like oh, do yeah. something, you know, because there's something in my office. Like, I'm a storyteller, not a Ghostbuster. <laughs> and another thing is like people assume that because I tell ghost stories that I love horror movies. Mm-hmm. I despise horror movies. Really? Because they're dumb. Exactly. Okay. To me, there's no level of 
first of all, they're terrifying because mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo taught me that the worst monsters are people. <laughs> and I love Scooby-Doo. Like, <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, the worst monsters are people. I mean, we just have to look in the news every day mm-hmm. to see that the real Definitely. monsters are out there and they are not wearing masks. You know, I'm more the person when, in my downtime, I'm watching things like Under the Tuscan Sun. You know, give me some Smurfs. <laughs> give me a good binge of Smurfs and I'm good for the night. Yeah. Because if I'm reading, if I read a ghost story, I don't like get scared. I'm thinking, oh, how can I perform this? And if I mm. get into that mindset before bed, there ain't no way I'm sleeping. Yeah. You know? If you could pick a favorite story, which one would you pick? Oh my gosh. Favorite one of mine or just a favorite story? Um, of- either. Mm. That's a big one. I like so many of them. <laughs> I mean, I guess and my probably my favorite W story is uh, Elizabeth Moore, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had a favorite story like of out of all of them, it would be probably the Headless Horseman mm-hmm. from back home. Mm-hmm. It's a story that I've heard my entire life, and it's probably one of the first ghost stories I was ever told. Mm-hmm. And it involves my family, like every single generation wow. of my family, like. Um, my great grandmother saw it, told the story. My you know grandparents told the story. My mother and father told the story. You know, and then my brother and I carried it on. And you know, and and it's it and it's the reason it's so in the family is because the battle or skirmish or whatever it wasn't really a battle. It was just a small you know um, skirmish that took place in what was up until like ten or twelve years ago our family garden. Oh, and it was this big field basically near the house, you know, in the home place. And the story that I heard was they were carrying like gold or something for the Confederacy, like the paychecks or whatever. And they were carrying them through in this trunk or this pot or what I don't remember. Um, but it was probably a chest and they were carrying it through and they came upon, uh, some people who were for the union and the Confederacy fought each other in the garden. And that's when they shot the man in the face with the cannonball and his head fell off and rolled into the wall of the garden. There Mm -hmm. was a, there's a huge, like when you cleared off the garden, you just piled the rocks to one side and made this giant wall. Yeah. Well, you know, there's holes and stuff under the wall and, you know, inside because it's so huge, just like, you know, five or six, eight feet tall pile of rocks. And so this head rolls into like a groundhog hole or something under the rocks and they can't get it back out. So they just bury the guy without his head. And now he just walks around the uh, walks around or rides his horse around. Um, Cause we've seen him both ways with his, but you know, um, he'll be walking, carrying his head or he'll be riding his horse without his head and he'll carrying his head under his arm. And it's really creepy. I mean, he's really creepy fellow. Um, but my mother told me that when she first married my father and they lived up on the hill um, above where they live now. They, there's like, we li- they live on a mountain, North Mountain in Pendleton County. So there's this kind of different levels, you know, so there's hills and then there's the up, on, 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 on up and on up and on up. Well, they lived up on the hill above the house and there was a cemetery in the yard and it was an old Civil War cemetery from that battle. That's where they buried everyone who died in that battle. And one of them was the Headless Horseman. And she said he would come out of his grave every night and ride around the house on his horse. And she said she would hear the the hooves clicking on the stones around the house. And she said then he would just ride on down through the holler and going down past everyone else. And um, 
they all, I, I mean, they always said that they buried the gold in the garden underneath where the lilac bush was and they marked it with the lilac bush. And this lilac bush is huge. It's like, it's like a building. Whenever we, we when we were kids, we would go into it and play inside. We'd make like forts <laughs> inside this thing. It's 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 a gigantic lilac bush. I mean, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like a four story house or so, or a four room house. You know that you could make inside this thing. And um, so yeah, this this uh, story just you know it's like telling the story of a member of the family mm-hmm. because it's he's, part of your family. Yeah, he's he's literally been through every single generation as far back as before, you know, when he died, which would have been like the 1860s. So it's, we're all like, okay, (laughs) hi. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. But yeah, yeah, my, I mean, my aunt saw him one time and um, she was a teenager and her, you know, her mom told her, said, don't, uh, don't be out after dark. They had this horseman's out, you know? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, that old story. You know, and then like she was came home after dark, and he chased her up the holler. Oh you gosh. know, <laughs> and you know, and then when she got in the house, you know, grandma was like, "See, I told you not to be out after dark." You know, it's just like with see and with things like that with my family. It's like ghosts were so real to us that it's mm-hmm. just like we know. You know, some of them are probably family. Mm-hmm. Some of them are probably distant relatives. Some of them have just been there so long, and they're like family. It's like it's just a thing. So that's not a big deal to us. And I guess probably me saying something like that is why people think I'm a ghostbuster, (laughs) but I'm just really not. I'm just used to them. (laughs) Why did you decide to start the ghost tour? I actually wanted to see if I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere else seemed to have one. And I've never been to one like ever, ever. You've never done a ghost tour anywhere. Maybe I'm too scared. That's why. Maybe. You, it's probably something you don't even doesn't even register. Like yeah. you probably yeah, I probably see don't even notice that that's even a thing. Yeah, um, you can. I mean, some places have historical tours and don't have ghost tours, but some places have historical tours and ghost tours. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think Gettysburg has both, but Gettysburg has so many ghost tours anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, um, the Transalgany Asylum has a historical tour, but. I asked afterwards, after, I was talking to the tour guide afterwards and got some stories from her about the ghosts and stuff in the place. So that was kind of cool. It's, I think it's all about your personality. If you come off as, you know, insane, you're like, hey man, there's a ghost. I hear about your ghost. Can I hear about your ghost? You know? Or if you're just like you and me and we're just talking like people and you ask me like, hey, is there anything weird that happens here? Like, is there any, you know, seen any ghosts or anything? And you can usually tell whether the tour guide is going to be receptive to that or not <laughs> based on how they react to that question. And there have been some places where they've been like, no, no, there's no, I don't know anything about that. But then like you go and you ask someone else that's there and they'll be like, oh yeah, let me tell you about that. You know, <laughs> so it all depends on who you get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Do you plan to do anything else with your stories? Yes. Like what? <laughs> my 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 dream is dream big. My dream if I'm dreaming big, girl. Um I I want to uh since I have so many stories. I've over almost actually almost six hundred stories wow. from How do you keep track of those? Just a side note. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually have a catalog that I made up a few years ago of uh, all this, all these stories from the different counties listed so that I can keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm going somewhere and doing a performance, like if I'm going to Buckhannon, I'll be like, okay, what are the ghost stories from near here that I can tell? And I'll tell those. And it's so 
awesome to tell stories to people who've heard about these stories but haven't heard the stories. Yeah. You know, so if I'm in Buchanan, if I'm in Glenville, if I'm in uh, Point Pleasant, if I'm in Burnsville, if I'm in Charleston or Beckley or somewhere and telling the story of that area to people from that area, not only do they get like the sense of, oh, this is really an awesome performance. I love this story. I love, but afterwards, they'll all come up and be like, you forgot this part or you didn't know oh. this part or here's a part that you might not know about. And it, those are the best part, best performances that you can have because not only have you told the story, they loved it and you got paid for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you get all this extra information to from, add to it. Yeah, from, from the people who were actually there and probably knew some of the people involved in the story, you know? So, I mean, there's also these crazy things that happened. Like when I was at <laughs> Burnsville and I told the story, you know, told the stories from there and this little lady came up to tell me that she and her sister used to watch the mortician when, cause they lived next to the funeral home when yeah. they were growing up and she was probably 90 years old. And there's this little, <laughs> and she comes up to me and puts her arms around my neck and she's, she's like hugging me. And she's like, when my sister and I were little, we used to sit and watch the mortician get drunk with the body. And like, yeah, it, oh my gosh. It, evidently the mortician was an alcoholic. Obviously I can understand if you're working on dead bodies, <laughs> you know. but he would, um, he had this big table and she said it wasn't a mortician table. It was just a big like wood table yeah. and he would lay the body out on it and he would drink the whole time he was doing the autopsy or whatever wow. and, uh, or embalming them. And she said he would eventually get so drunk that sometimes he would lay down next to the body on the table and just fall asleep. <laughs> Wow. And she and her sister would watch him do that the whole time. <laughs> and I'm like, I can just imagine like two little eight year old girls, like watching the mortician work on a dead body while he gets drunk and passes out next to it. That's, you know, these are things you can't make up. Yeah, really. <laughs> anyway, what was I even answering the question? Um, to <laughs> plans in the future. Oh, okay. For your stories. Um, yes. Well, I want to, uh, my, my thing is to tell or, or write them all down in a book or mm-hmm. probably more than one book because 580 some stories aren't going to fit in one book very easily. Yeah, probably not. Probably an encyclopedia set. <laughs> <laughs> the West Virginia haunted encyclopedia or something. <laughs> um, and that, that's going to be like my life's work. Like mm-hmm. that's going to be my, I'm going, that's going to be my Ruth Ann music's coffin hollow. You know, that's going to be my, um, West Virginia encyclopedia. Yeah. That's going to started. I have. I do. Um, I do. I will stu- still do um, ghost tours for groups and stuff. Yeah. If they ask me singularly, but I do not do the W ghost tour anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do the W ghost tour for other groups, but uh-huh. I, I don't do it. So if us as the DA came to you and said, can we do a ghost tour? Would you do it? Yes. Okay. I want to do that. But it would, and it would cost you like $5 a person okay. or, or if it got to the point where you had more than 20 people, it would just be like a hundred dollars for like however many people okay. you wanted to bring on it. That sounds fun. And I want that. Any final words you want to say or <sighs> about this whole process? This has been a process. Uh, it, it has. Oh, my gosh. It took so forever to get me here and get it all, <laughs> get it all out. But then again, I am a busy, 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 busy person. <laughs> it's a combination of busy and lazy. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> it's like. I'm busy, lazy. <laughs> busy, lazy. I'm busy. <laughs> um, if anybody's interested in contacting me about a ghost tour or ghost story performance, um, they can reach me at mountain word, mountain word, like words, mountain word at gmail.com. Um, 
I check that pretty regularly, so I'm I would be interested in that. Or go search you on Facebook. Maybe you'll find the right. Yeah, one. you can Maybe look. For, you can mm-hmm. look for West Virginia Spectral Heritage on uh, Facebook. That page is still active. Um, I haven't posted anything lately to it because, like I said, the last few years have been a little traumatic. But it'll probably come back to life uh, before too long because I'm gonna start posting the events and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 gonna come back around. It's just got to go through a cycle. Jason Burns is making a comeback. Yeah, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> I've oh, been here sorry. for years. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for um, doing this whole show. It's been so fun. Thank you for coming in and dealing with us. Yeah. With me. It's been Nick. a trial with your coworkers talking. <laughs> Come on, people. I just remember the first day we came into your office and you're looking at us like, yeah, yeah, you caught me. You, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I've been burned, so. Yeah. I got to be Gotta careful. be cautious. Mm-hmm. To put that wall up. Yeah, you are, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Savon Hunter. To listen to more podcasts from the DA, go to thedaonline.com slash podcasts. This podcast is a production of WVU Student Media.